Dylan! You son of a bitch. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or are best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. We're back for another week, back to a Friday regular programming broadcast here in not-so-sunny Sydney. <laughs> yeah, it's raining. It's bucketing down. It's bucketing down. Cats and dogs. Hey, <laughs> Tristan, uh, special episode this week. It is. It really, really is. Number of reasons. Mm-hmm. First of all, we're covering uh, Predator. Yeah. Pretty serious territory. It's a heavy hitter. I think it's number three in the AFI's greatest films of all time. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> Not 100% sure on those numbers, but we, we rarely fact check. <laughs> special reason otherwise is a special guest, international fight commentating sensation, big friend of the show, The Voice, Michael Chavello. Welcome, Michael. G'day, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. And by the way, those uh, you're right, Predator does come in number three. It's actually The Godfather, Citizen Kane, then Predator. Yes. And Shawshank Redemption is number four. Number yeah, four. Yeah, 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 shortly followed by. Just to clarify. Excellent. We, ha- we tackle the, um, the big films here on this show. Exactly. Um, I know what you did last summer a few weeks ago is I think <laughs> it's just outside the top ten. <laughs> Doesn't get any better. Doesn't get any better. <laughs> Absolutely. So now, Michael, our friends of the show, they're a bit of a mixed bunch um, in many respects of the word. Definitely some hardcore fight fans among us, um, but equally not. So even between Tristan and I, um, myself, I'm a lifelong fight fan. Your signature calls have been uh, a staple in my living room for many years now um, through your kickboxing career and more recently in the MMA environment with uh, 1FC. Um, Tristan was first exposed to you uh, when you interviewed our Lord and Saviour, GCVD, uh, in Sydney <laughs> a few months ago. You've got the hat on there. Yeah. Respect. Now, I thought um, for our friends of the show, um, it might be worth uh, you telling us a little bit about yourself and your career, if you would. Just for the record, I have never exposed myself publicly to Tristan. That's a lie. <laughs> Please watch the wording. Ah, this is <laughs> But it's okay, it's okay, Greg, because you've got a bald brother here as That's well. Right, right? Yeah. It's, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> no, th- thank you for the introduction. I could not have done any better. As you said, a long-time uh, fight sports commentator for, geez, 26 years now. You may have Amazing. heard me on Fox Sports around the world with K1 and Dream and Dynamite and One Championship, Access TV back in the USA where I worked over there for seven years, mm-hmm. uh, Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, uh, pro wrestling, uh, a lot of it. Uh, in between that, celebrity interviewer. You know, Absolutely. I've interviewed the likes of JCVD and Steven Seagal <laughs> and Hulk Hogan and Stone Cold Steve Austin and um, Jackie Chan, John Woo. The list goes on and on. Oh, um, just Wu. been in the media game for a long, long time and uh, really enjoy myself. And now I get to do a lot of fun stuff, such as being on this great show. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, I understand you've also got some podcast experience. Um, you've been on a, a guest, I think, a few moons ago on a, on a little show called The Joe Rogan Experience. Is that correct? Yeah, this little show filmed somewhere out of LA at a dude's house named Never Joe Rogan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> went on Joe's show a couple of times. Uh, Joe and I are mates uh, going way back. Yeah. Uh, you know, over the years we both sort of said, even before we met, we, we met I think it was 2011 in 
oh, 2010 in Edmonton, Canada, we first met. And even before that, we'd always said that I was his favorite commentator. He was my favorite oh, commentator. Amazing. We met at the River Creek Casino in Edmonton after he did one of his shows. We had dinner and then... When I was in LA, he invited my wife and I to to go to his house and do his podcast a couple of times. Uh, Joe, yeah, Joe's a, a great guy, and uh, you know his podcast is is kicking butt now. He's on Spotify, and yeah. what did he sold it for a hundred million dollars or something like that? Something you like guys that. are there. You guys yeah. are there. Your latest value We're was ten dollars. You've got a little bit to go, but you're getting there. Well, well I mean, thing. the yep. first step was him having you on the show, right? So we're taking all the right measures. It's six degrees of separation, so we've knocked off two of those degrees already. You're exactly. Four more degrees to go. Well, <laughs> we actually, after this, after tonight, we're, we're planning on an elk-only diet and a sauna <laughs> at least once a day. So, <laughs> Lots of saunas as well. Elk-only <laughs> diet and lots yeah. of saunas. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know where to hunt for elk in in a west of Sydney, but I'll find, I'll figure it out. Yeah, we have a few, few labradoodles, <laughs> yeah, yeah. as close as you get. So that gives uh, that gives the friends of the show a bit of a flavour of, of your career. I thought maybe we'd hone in on, you know, I understand you to be a movie fan as as well. Let's get a bit of a flavour on some of your preferences. I'm going to give you a, a bit of a rapid fire A or B type scenario with some questions, if that's all right. Oh, of course, shoot away. All right. So first we'll go uh, Indiana Jones or Han Solo. Han Solo. Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan? Jackie Chan. Van Damme or Seagal? Van Damme. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or Die Hard? Christmas, Christmas Vacation. Coolest celebrity you've met? Stone Cold Steve Austin. Weirdest celebrity you've met? Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. Actually, that's that's... You didn't, you're right, you did not expose yourself to me at the John, John Paul Van Damme <laughs> thing. Actually, the first time I came across you, you've actually technically been on the show before because we used a clip from your interview with Steven Seagal a while back with the get a laugh in your face, that part. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, a, a very famous or infamous interview, uh, which <laughs> I, I guess led to a fallout between Steven and I. Before that aired, oh, we got wow. like a house on fire. Uh, we can maybe talk about that later, but okay. certainly the weirdest celebrity I've ever met. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Um, and uh, perhaps uh, your proudest career moment to date? Being on this podcast, are you ah, kidding me? There you go, answer. there it is. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. Now, we're also um, anticipating the release of your book, Speaking of Career Moments. I'm assuming there's a, there's a good chapter or two dedicated to this that will be rewritten back in. <laughs> uh, I'm speaking to the publishers right now. I'm yeah. like, hold the presses. Yeah, I've got to do a machine. whole chapter on doubling pack podcast. Got to do it. So yeah. they're, they're set for it, guys. Excellent. Good. <laughs> well, we'll, you know, we'll, um, we'll give you the, the royalty check address and all that sort of thing <laughs> after the call. Um, but yeah, do you want to give us a give us a spiel on the book, mate? We'd love to hear more, a bit more about it. Thank you. The book's called Good Night, Irene: How a Bullied Fat Kid from Melbourne Became a Global Broadcasting Star. Um, it's it's a memoir about basically how I overcame adversity as a kid, being the bullied fat kid who people said would amount to nothing. Stuck to my guns, uh, chased a dream, pursued a dream. With, um, without letting anything stand in my way and became a, a global broadcaster who's now broadcast to over 81 million people worldwide and over 150 countries and, you know, won several awards around the world. And yeah. there's chapters in there on Steve Seagal, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Jackie Chan, George oh. Foreman, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Joe Rogan, Dana White. Uh, the list goes on. It drops October one. Uh, in Australia, get it at booktopia.com.au, get it at badapplepress.com.au and around the world, get it at onefc.com on the one shop. Yeah. It'll be on Amazon everywhere. Look out for it. Good night, Irene. Uh, you guys are going to really enjoy it. Oh, amazing. Well, we look forward awesome. to checking Looking it out. Looking forward to that, yeah. So we probably should dive into uh, a bit of Predator action. 
I'm sure people are going, talk, when are they going to talk about the Predator? <laughs> and oh, and the Dutch worry. and the Dylan <laughs> and the Dahler. All right, well, why don't I set the context by maybe just contextualising the year at the movies that was 1987. So the top ten films of 1987 were, number one, Fatal Attraction, number two, Beverly Hills Cop 2, mm. number three, Dirty Dancing, number four, The Living Daylights, which I'm not even sure what that it's is. A, it's a Bond. Is it? Yeah. No. It's the Aussie one, isn't I've it? I've never heard of that. It's the one with the Aussie in it? No, Timothy. it's Her Majesty's Secret. Ah, so, correct. Yeah. I was just checking. <laughs> Three Men and a Baby, which we've covered before. Wait, number um, three, Three Men and a Baby? No, number five, Three oh, Men and a Baby. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Number six, Good Morning Vietnam. Number seven, Lethal Weapon. Number eight, I'll come back to. Number nine, Moonstruck. Number ten, The Untouchables. But number eight, which I conveniently skipped there, was, of course, the big, fat, top three AFI movie of all time, <laughs> Predator. This, this was a top ten film. It was. That's surprising, for, right? For blockbuster. I mean, Often when we do these action sense, movies, yeah. um, they're nowhere near the top ten. But unless they're is, a lethal weapon. Unless they're a lethal weapon, of course. Which we haven't As done. long as Predator was better than Moonstruck on the list, I'm happy. <laughs> Has that got Sybil Shepard in it? No, it had Cher and Nicolas Cage yeah. with like a wooden hand, if I remember. <laughs> Right, Nicholas Cage had a wooden arm or a wooden hand in it, and uh, as long as we're above Moonstruck, I'm good. I'm good with, you know, I like Dirty Dancing. Dirty Dancing at number two is good. Lethal Weapons in there. Uh, what was number one? Was that Basic Instinct? Did you say Fatal Attraction? Oh, Fatal Close. Attraction number one. Nah, I, I'm sorry if it's sacrilege. I've never been a big James Bond fan, but to hear the Predators in the top ten and above Moonstruck makes me very happy. I agree. This is good news all round. This is this is great news. So it came out in June of 1987, budget of $18 million with a, with a gross of nearly $100 million, so $98 million. It's a great return. That's some strong return on investment. It's a great yeah. ROMI. <laughs> return on movie investment, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd like to stick to the, um, to the metrics here. <laughs> uh, in terms of Rotten Tomatoes scores, critic score of 81%, audience score of 87%, which feels... Good. I'm happy with that. Yeah, you never like, know with these movies how you're going to. I feel like it should have a nine in it. Well, this has got to be one of the highest rated in terms of classic action movies. Oh, yeah, we should also explain. We um, we have a term that we use for these kinds of movies. We call them, uh, these movies are part of the lap pack. So you know how like with the old Frank Sinatra you got the, the rat pack? And right. And with the 80s you got like um, 16 Candles, you got the, the brat pack. This is the lat pack. These are these are the big muscle bound heroes of our childhood. So, That'll work. Yeah, that works. So uh, this is this movie is almost king of the lat packs. I yeah. think yeah. in many ways. But often when we do a lat pack movie, it's a bit disappointing to see where it fit in the rankings, where it fits with critic uh-huh. scores. But uh-huh. this is up there. So this is like a. I feel validated. Yeah, <laughs> AFI doesn't lie. That's what they say. <laughs> But Michael, I'd love to hear. Like, it was was this a massive movie for you growing up? Yeah, I was trying to. I was trying to think. Um, when you guys said to me, "Come up with a movie you really liked from the um, from that period, from the eighties," and you know, I had a couple that I sent to you. I sent yeah, you yep. two in particular. The other one was Big Trouble in Little China, which oh, is one yeah. of my my faves. And I, I, I said, "Predator, let's do Predator." And I was trying to think where I saw Predator first, and it wasn't at the movies. I remember it was a sleepover. Yeah. At a at a friend's sleepover <laughs> yeah. when you do slumber parties when oh, you were yeah. young. 
and it would have probably been in 1990. So we would have gone down to the local video store. Uh, we would have rented a whole heap of movies. And I uh-huh. believe one of those was Predator, which is where I saw it the first time. And it stuck with me. And there's no better way to watch that when you've got four of your mates yeah. and you're full of pizza and yeah. burgerings and cheesels <laughs> and you're high on Coca-Cola and, and Sprite <laughs> and Fanta. Yeah. And it's like 10 o'clock at night and you're just like, let's put on the next video and you take it into this world of this South American jungle and there's this mix of it's a mix of action meets sci-fi meets ensemble cast yes. meets yeah. meets a great hero and a great villain. I mean, for me, this movie had everything. And from the moment I saw it, it blew me away how strong it is. And, yeah. you know, you talk watchability even today when I watch it, and I must have seen it dozens of times, I, I still sit there gripped to it. I'm still like, what's going to happen next? This yeah. is so cool. You know, it's just so rewatchable so many years later. 100%. Could not agree more. What about you, Greg? Uh, I'm going to think of a much worse articulation that's a very similar, <laughs> it's a sem- very similar. Note version. to self: ask Michael last. <laughs> yeah. We have the editing power. <laughs> so I think similar ilk. This was kind of in that range of uh, a VHS that was kind of like the holy grail. Yeah. In that you just you, you couldn't really get your hands on it. Someone taped it. So yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I would have been probably about ten before I got a look at it. So I would have been. Technically about six when it came out. Mm. But I probably didn't get a look at it till I was about 10. And there was a guy down the road, the dodgy guy who you get the videos off, <laughs> Pete the Greek, and you'd kind of you'd go out to – but you could never get Predator off him because the older kids had already got, already got it off him every time. So <laughs> it was one of those ones that we stumbled across later than we would have liked, but it was uh, – yeah, it was the goods. There was a couple of scenes that, you know, you just like cemented in your memory, like yeah. the, the dangling bodies, you know, flayed dangling bodies. Yeah. The yeah. handshake. The, the the razor blade on the head where it yeah. snaps oh, off. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's so scared of seeing the predator and he's shaving his head and then yeah. you see the bit of blood it. and that the, the, the Gillette razor just snaps on his head. Yeah. I mean, just so many iconic moments yeah. that yeah. film. And, man, they're all, they're all you know, I, I Honestly, I didn't watch it in preparation for this interview because I wanted to see how good my powers of recall yeah, would be yeah, and the yeah. memories just come flooding back straight yeah, away. Yeah. So many great one-liners, yes. not only from Arnie but from Jesse the Body Ventura. You know, his one-liners for me stole the whole yeah. the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Carl Weathers was awesome. Yeah. Um, at, a, at a hot chicken, she didn't speak much English but she was hot. You know, what else do you want? That what was else my, do you want in an action film? That was my rewatch bit. I'll probably get into it. And I was like, oh, I, hadn't, I must have been really young when I watched it because I didn't remember her but I noticed it. Well, that's interesting because I think I actually saw Predator 2 first. So basically all these kinds of movies, when I was a kid, my mother wouldn't let me watch them. So this was always what I watched at my neighbor's house, Jono. Jono, this is definitely a Jono. It's a Jono special, this one. And I think I actually saw Predator 2 first because I have it probably earlier than I should have and because I have it imprinted in my brain. Is that got Danny Glover? Yeah, and Mm. where the guy gets sliced in half with a – with the circular saw blade thing, mm. that was like, oh, feel like I should have seen that. <laughs> but also, you know what, guys? It's 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 a real testament to the strength of the storyline, especially that original movie that we still have Predator franchise going yeah, on today. Still going, and yeah. the last one that came out was awesome. I loved it. 
Oh, you know, yeah? there's the, the canon of, of Predator remains so strong still to this day that the Predator films are now they're blending Predator versus Alien, yeah. admittedly, and I might get shot for it. I, I was never a big Alien fan, Ooh. but the Predator side of things I love, <laughs> you know, it's still going strong. Well, that's good what? for you because they kill the aliens, right? So you're like, yeah, kill them fucking aliens. I think aliens. generally the Predators win from what I've seen. Also, I believe so. And they've come full circle because the, the latest Predator was directed by Shane Black, who is in this movie. Yeah. So it's a it's a beautiful he's the first guy to get that gets killed. The guy yeah. with the pussy jokes. Yeah. Yeah. The skinny <laughs> ah. He also wrote Lethal Weapon. He was there to do well, we get into it later. We'll get yeah. into all that. But um Hold yeah, on, so he he wrote Lethal Weapon as well? He wrote Lethal Weapon as well. So eighty seven was like a banner year for this guy. Yeah. He was yeah, yeah. in a top ten film. He wrote one of the top ten films. Hundred percent killed it in eighty yeah. seven. Well that's actually how he got in the movie was they um I'll get into it in the origin story in a second, but a little little taster was they wanted him to come on to do rewrites. And he on the was, fly. On the fly and he wasn't that interested and he's like, what if we put you in the movie? And he's like, all right, I'll, wow. come, I'll come to Mexico. <laughs> wow, that'll do it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, how about I get into the origin story? I'll press the button. <laughs> origin story. Yeah, thanks, Octavio. Yeah. <laughs> That's our friend Octavio that does that voice. <laughs> <laughs> He wanted to be part of the show, so we said, how about we just give you a button that we press once an episode? <laughs> um, so this movie was the brainchild of two first-time writers, two brothers, Jim and John Thomas. They went ah, on, the Thomases. The, the Thomases, yeah. They went on to write Predator 2, naturally, uh, but also Wild Wild West, eh, uh, Mission to Mars and Behind Enemy Lines. Wow. But, yeah, they were first-time writers. They, they wrote this under the original title called Hunter, and um, yeah. it actually sparked – off the back of a joke that was circulating around Hollywood at the time, this is an urban legend, I suppose, that I think Rocky Four had come out and the banter around Hollywood was, geez, Rocky's going to have to fight an alien next time. <laughs> and so these two guys were like, well, what if? What if? And so they kind of explored that just, idea from just there. Just hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> so the original idea they explored was like, what, what does it mean to be hunted? The same way that Joe Rogan hunts elk. What does it mean for, for humans to be hunted by something else? How would they make it feel? And they kind of explored that. And so they wanted to start with, okay, uh, uh, let's say there's a predator or a hunter from mm. another planet. Uh-huh. Who would they be hunting? What's the most dangerous creature on earth? <laughs> humans. What's the most dangerous kind of human? Combat soldiers. And so you start, there's all these kind of things start to fall into place. They chose Central America because they were constantly present at that time with uh, military activity so they kind of landed on that area so these kind of key elements were falling into place but then they couldn't get anybody to read it because they were just a couple of guys and um they wrote it like on a summer holiday like a family holiday or something (laughs) by the beach but they knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody that slipped it under the door of a uh someone at 20th century fox and they they were into it they were like huh this is interesting and so they they brought in um lap pack movie heavyweight uh joel silver so Joel Silver was the producer on uh, Commando, Die Hard, and kind of every bloody action movie that famously we love. portrayed by Tom Cruise in uh, Tropic Thunder. Well, yeah, rumor has it rumor has it that that's who is his uh, channeling in, in that performance. Yeah. But he he loved it. He saw the potential. Now speaking of Alien, I think the initial concept was a bit more hardcore sci-fi like Alien. But Joel Silver saw the lap pack potential here and he thought, let's, let's give it a little shot of steroids and let's, let's take this thing to the next level. So naturally you speak to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh-huh. Naturally you speak I thought to you were going to say that at the beginning, like what's the most dangerous thing on earth, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger? Schwarzenegger. 
But you have to go through a few more layers. That's true. That's a good point. And um, yeah, Joel Silver's in. He's formulating like a, a, a lap pack all star cast. He gets a, a fresh director, pretty pretty new guy. He, he directed one movie before, mm-hmm. a guy named John McTiernan. He went on to direct Die Hard. He went on to direct um, The Last Action Hero. So he's kind of uh, he's a he's a big deal. He's a big deal. He's a big deal. Yeah. So so this the, the dream team's getting assembled here now. As I was just saying, the the producers they always do this thing where they want to do the rewrites. And so that's where the Shane Black thing came from. They're like, let's get the guy. He just wrote Lethal Weapon for Joel Silver. And, um, you know, he was hot at that moment. Like, yeah, let's get him down to Mexico. We'll get him to do some rewrites on the uh-huh. fly and we'll put him in the movie, yada, yada, yada. They ended up actually shooting pretty much the original script though. So they didn't actually do too much in the way of uh, rewrites, which is kind of nice to know. Well, at least they had him in the movie. He sort of paid his way a bit there. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. He d- <laughs> died nice and early. Also, oh, yeah. his his pussy jokes were improv. He brought, yeah, pretty good pussy <laughs> jokes. <laughs> My bad. Classic echo. Classic <laughs> joke. Oh, a little nugget for so Michael has a background. Both Greg and I work in advertising in our day jobs, and interestingly, the guys that did the special effects on this movie at that time they were called R. Greenberg and Associates, or R. Greenberg Associates. They did the invisibility special effects. They did the thermal vision special effects. They went on to become an advertising agency called RGA, which is that's like they're big, they're yeah, Yeah, they're out pumping out uh, Telstra ads now. So, (laughs) (laughs) how the mighty have fallen? Can they roll? Do they roll out clips of Predator in their pitch work? They must. Hey Telstra, if I work there, with your marketing, (laughs) look at what we've done. You want to see our credentials? Please, (laughs) I would. Now, interestingly, and this is where I think you got some good insight, Michael, as well, is they hit a massive roadblock at a certain point in production. So on kind of two, two, two streams coming together, one was the actor they had to play the Predator and the Predator costume itself. So I'll start with the costume itself, which um, uh-huh. it, it showed up on set and they realised we might have a problem here. We had to go off and start shooting the movie and they, uh, they, had been, they were late turning out the Predator and uh, we all... Desperately anticipating. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It's it's here today, no, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Finally, the day it arrived. And they took the the crowbars and pried it open and opened it and and lifted it out of the box. And we all looked at each other and said, oh, are we in trouble. So basically that that original Predator costume, it kind of looked like a giant ant, like it was a weird yeah. cumbersome thing. A vaginary ant. <laughs> but then, of course, the man inside the ant was, of course, our Lord and Saviour, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And this topic came up in the old uh, conversation that, that we saw you have with the great man. What was his version of events on this one? Do you remember? Yeah, Jean-Claude uh, loves to tell this story and uh, <laughs> accompanying the story, as you guys would have seen when we did the show in Sydney, um, was some great footage of that original costume yeah. And some CGI of the original, and 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 John Claw was pretty much like the 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 suit was unworkable. I mean, not yeah. only was it hot as hell inside the suit, 
but the movement, and when, when you're Jean-Claude Van Damme, movement is yeah. everything. Uh-huh. I mean, Jean-Claude's flexibility, his movement, his range of movement is his signature. There was no range of movement whatsoever inside the original Predator costume, and it was highly dangerous. And he went and told the producers, he said, it's so dangerous, I might break a leg, I might break an arm, I might break a neck, I mm. might put out my spine, something's going to happen. And basically um, he got told, um, listen, don't quit the movie over this. Wait till you get fired over this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And yeah. that, that was, was the from advice Carl he Weathers, got. right? I think Carl yeah, Weathers. Yeah, Carl Weathers said to him, says, Jean-Claude, don't quit over this. Let them fire you. Maybe it was to do with payment or yeah, SAG payments so, or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. let them fire you because Jean-Claude just for his own health and his own, you know, his own, his own sanity, yeah. couldn't do it. It was too hot, but it was just too dangerous. And then after that happened and he got fired off the film, they redid the costume and eventually it worked out okay. But the original one, so the original Predator that was Van Damme, which apparently in the movie, the Predator we're seeing, none of that is Van Damme. He said that it got all wiped out. None of it Stand is what he yeah. shot because yeah. they redid the costume later. But it was, it was hellaciously dangerous, the original costume. Yeah, and they, I don't know, I think they went for a cheap option with the people that made it because basically they, what all happened around this same time was they actually ran out of budget as well. So the whole, the whole production kind of stopped at this point, which was a blessing in disguise because that, that gave them more time to sort out the costume issue. And so they did. They had to secure more money from Fox, which they eventually did. And, so guys, they, glad that they did because one of the things that sticks in your mind about Predator is just how damn good Predator looks. Yeah, I mean, even yeah. today... Even yeah. today, you know, decades later, it is still the same looking predator as in the 1987 yeah, original. Exactly. It hasn't changed. So it was ahead of its time in just how good it looked. It looked so much better and so far advanced yeah. from anything else we'd seen in sci fi action films before that. Yeah, 100%. And they got it was threatening and cool at the same time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so they needed a new suit, and, and Arnie himself. Um, worked with a, a great designer named Stan Winston on the Terminator. So they got him on board. And so he also did the alien design based on H.R. Geiger's artworks, but he did the costuming for that. And he was actually, I think the the initial inspiration was a Rastafarian soldier poster that Joel Silver had in his office that this guy saw and was like, that's ah, interesting. That explains. And that it explains like, the dreads, right? Yeah, the dreadlocks. Yeah, the dreads. And then... <laughs> And then the, the next little nugget was Stan Winston was on a flight with uh, James Cameron to go promote um, Alien. Uh-huh. And he said he was drawing, he was, he was sketching this guy out sitting right next to James Cameron. And James Cameron said, I've always wanted to see uh, some, something with like the, the teeth, these things. I don't know what it's called. Mandibly like. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, that thing. And um, so all these guys take different credit for the design of the costume. But obviously we ended up with something great. And notably the final the final predator was significantly taller i suppose than than jean-claude van damme yes which made for that pretty iconic lift up yeah but he picks up arnie and he's about two feet off the ground yeah and so that was that was what seven foot four something like that it was it was well into the sevens but what it is also guys i think the beauty of it too part of the appeal was that it was bigger than Arnie, you know, like you said, maybe seven three, seven four, seven five, but it was still believable. Yeah. Had it been any taller, had you made an eleven or a twelve foot predator, it, it would have looked ridiculous. Yeah. Had you made a five foot predator, it would have looked ridiculous. Yeah. But seven three, seven four isn't is tall enough to be scary, but not be unbelievable. And the dimensions of the body, 
were, were believable as well. It's like, you know, it's like the Hulk, okay? Yeah. You see Lou Ferrigno's um, yeah. depiction of the Hulk, it was very believable. Uh-huh. You see the Hulk later on when, uh, when was it, Ang Lee did the Hulk? Yeah. Um, you know, later on, yeah. and it's the huge mega Hulk. It's not as believable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, but Lou Ferrigno's like, yeah, I can picture that guy being the Hulk. I can picture some, someone yeah. going one on one with Lou Ferrigno's Hulk. You yes. can picture Arnie going one on one with the Predator. Yeah. yeah. If he was, if he was much bigger, he'd be like that. Ah, he's got no chance against that thing. Although that right. would be interesting to see Lou Ferrigno as the Predator. That's not bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big Louie, how are you? <laughs> yeah. He's tired. <laughs> Well, so the guy inside the costume was a guy named Peter, uh, sorry, Kevin Peter Hall, mm-hmm. who was also from Harry and the Hendersons. Do you remember Harry and the Hendersons? Oh, yes. Yeah, Harry and the Hendersons. He yeah, was Harry. Bigfoot, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, was that Harry? Yeah. Yeah, it's Harry. So he, wow. that became kind of his thing. Sweet guy. Yeah, we'll probably talk a bit more about him later. But also another little interesting little connecty thing there is the voice or the sound, I suppose, of Predator with that. I don't know what he does, like clicks and stuff. I can't do it. A guy, I can't at, my, do it. A guy at my high school could do it. <laughs> I mean, that sounded like yeah, a pretty good. cicada farting, but yeah. it was different to that. Uh, well, so basically that was um, Stephen Cullen, the voice yeah. of Optimus Prime. So Optimus wow. Prime did. Uncredited. I think they should give him a credit. You give, know? Like, give the man some credit. Made the little noise there. Yeah. That's his work. That's what he does. <laughs> but just to round out cast, obviously we had Arnie. Obviously, we had Carl Weathers, um, but we also had Elpidia Carrillo as Anna, the um, the only female in the movie. Um, uh-huh. Richard, assuming that Predator is not. Oh uh, yeah, true. Good call. Um, Richard Shaves or Chavez as Poncho Ramirez, and this you'll Shapes. notice I'm bad at pronouncing names. <laughs> no, really, I was just Richard Shaves. You think I would prep? It's yeah, it's <laughs> it's part of the uh, it's part of the deal. We had Shane Black as Hawkins, first man to die. Um, and we had, of course, Bill Duke from Commando. So he carried straight over with, with the um, He's epic. Joel Silver crew. But they also wanted to make sure they had some people that were actual Vietnam vets as well. And so that's how Jesse Ventura actually got ah. first in the mix and because he was. And um, I think so was the other Richard Chavez as well, I believe. Yeah, well, um, that, yeah that timing-wise, very likely. And then Sonny Landham, who played Billy, um, he's a bit of a wild card, which I'll get into a little bit later because there's a lot to talk about there. He's an interesting cat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but ultimately they got these guys down in Mexico. They got him down a week early for training. There's a bit of banter on the set, actually a lot of banter on the set with the you get all the you get all these people together with and, and you know, there's an on set gym. Banter ensues. The f- m- favorite one I heard was Arnold, you've seen Pumping Iron, right, Michael? Of course. Yeah, yeah. You know how he's always doing these psychological tricks with people? So Arnold did this thing with Jesse Ventura where the costume designers told Jesse, oh, wow, your bicep, like they're doing the measurements. Oh, your, your bicep measurements are bigger than Arnold. And so he got all <laughs> cocky and went up to Arnold and go, let's measure them. Oh, let's, uh, my biceps are bigger than yours. And Arnold's were bigger. And he had actually told the costume designers <laughs> to go play that scene. He's like, I'm always in a psychological oh, game. Jesse, <laughs> you thought they were bigger than that. <laughs> so anyway, they got these guys down to Mexico. It was uh, quite a grueling experience apparently. A lot of people got sick from like food poisoning and whatnot. Uh-huh. A lot of people lost weight, Arnold included. He lost, he lost like 25 pounds throughout the movie. Yeah, um, he's definitely slimmer later yeah. in the movie. And one thing I didn't even consider, I was watching the making of and they were talking about how this whole jungle, it's all on an angle. So there's not even a point every time you're just standing there, you're like 
engaging all of your muscles to stand up straight. So that that was it was torture, and I think it was like forty degrees. And then and then someone's got to carry around old painless. Jesse, Jesse Ventura had old painless, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's yeah. right. A helicopter mounted machine gun. <laughs> Anyway, they got all these people in front of a camera. They made a movie called Predator, Bish Bash Bosh, You Got Self a Movie, Rap Party at the Viper Room. How about we play the trailer? Let's do it. We are a rescue team, not assassins. Now, what do we got to do? In a part of the world where there are no rules. We pick up their trailer at the chopper, run them down, grab those hostages before anybody knows we were there. What do you mean we... Deep in the jungle, where nothing that lives is safe. You lose it here. You're in a world of hurt. Showtime, kid. Knock, knock. An elite rescue squad. You're bleeding, man. I ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> is being led by the ultimate warrior. We need the best. That's why you're here. But now... What's got Billy so spooked? There's something out there waiting for us. And it ain't no man. They're up against the ultimate enemy. Holy mother of God. Nothing like it has ever been on Earth before. She says the jungle just came alive and took him. We cannot see it. No blood, no bodies. We hit nothing. But it sees the heat of our bodies and the heat of our fear. Whatever it is out there, it killed Hapa. And now it wants us. It kills for pleasure. He was skinned alive! It hunts for sport. He's killing us one at a time. We're all gonna die. But this time, it's picked the wrong man to hunt. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Century Fox presents Arnold Schwarzenegger. Predator. The hunt begins Friday, June 12th at theaters everywhere. Just watching that, just watching that makes me want to say goodbye to you guys. <laughs> Go to my TV, put Predator on and watch it for the 87th time. <laughs> 100%. Full volume. Often we, oh. finish, often we finish recording an episode and I'm like, I think I might watch the movie tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now this is this is the part of the show where Greg, you know, that that was a good trailer, and the voiceover did a good job of maybe breaking down the the key plot elements. Uh, but Greg, perhaps you could break it down a little bit further. What exactly yeah, went down yeah, sure, in this movie? Thank, What's it yeah, about? Thank you. Look, it's a pretty simple film, but I'll I'll, I'll <laughs> have a I'll have a stab. Uh, <clears throat> the year is the eighties. <laughs> We're in a covert jungle on a covert mission. A mission to get a diplomat released, a classic extraction, an A-team type setup, or maybe not. It doesn't really matter because on screen is one of the most manly collection of men you'll ever see. (laughs) Missing Tom Selleck. There's a girl too and a skinny guy. This helps remind you just how manly the manly men are. But in the jungle, the mighty jungle, there is also... A predator. He has invisible powers and other cool stuff, and he's hunting them. He leaves the girl alone because she doesn't have a gun. Most of them die. Then there's an epic showdown between Arnie and Predator. 
Will they get to the chopper? It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a love story between a predator and his human flesh stories. Flesh. Well, I'm going to say that last line again. Flesh stories? That's, that sounds like a porno. <laughs> it's also a love story between a predator and his human flesh trophies. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hey, we all we all enjoy our fresh our flesh trophies now and then. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, once upon a time. <laughs> now, well, Greg and I both rewatched this this week. How, how was the rewatch for you, Gregory? Um, hang on, I've got my notes here. Uh, it was like a shot of trenbolone to the eyeballs. <laughs> I looked that up. It's the most powerful <laughs> antibiotic steroid there is. Oh really? <laughs> oh, it was fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is just stuff, uh, you know, Michael nailed it before. It's just everything about this film is just, it's so much, yeah. it's aging well. It's just, it's slick. It's getting better. It doesn't try and do too much. It's just. Try- you know, you know I, I was trying to put my finger on the, the real true appeal of it, why it's so bloody good and so rewatchable. And I come down to a couple of things. Yes, Arnie's good, but for me it's the first I can really remember a really ensemble cast action film. You've got a bunch of guys. It starts with a bunch of guys. You can count them in the group and one by one they're picked, you know, picked off by the predator. Uh They're killed by the predator. So you're like, you're rooting for them all as as a bunch. And then from, you know, five, it goes to four. Four goes to three. Three goes to two. Two, it goes down to, to the final one. So it's this ensemble cast. And having an ensemble in anything, I'm a huge fan of ensemble TV shows ensemble movies because you've got so many different personalities, yeah. different character traits coming through. I mean, Carl Weathers' character was the uptight, down yeah. the line, everything by the book. Arnie was the, you know, Arnie was the the, the, the leader of the pack, the, the guy that they all stood behind. Then you had Jesse Ventura, who's a, you know, a sexual Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Rex. He was, he was spitting the tobacco, you yeah. know, and he, he, was, he was the stud of the group. You yeah. had the nerdy guy. You had the, the the black guy shaving his head. It was the real, like, the real, like, um, you know, war veteran yeah. who knew all the war tricks in the jungle. You had the Indian guy, uh, the Native American, I should say, who stayed true to his roots, you know, yeah. stayed yeah. true to his culture and wanted a, a showdown one-on-one on the bridge yeah. with the Predator when they finally meet. So it was just this magnificent ensemble cast, I think, is what is the real appeal of that movie, even after all these years. And then, as I said, having a villain like yeah. Predator that looks so incredible, so believable in every aspect, and is this mix of organic, you know, yeah. organic with machine. Yeah. It's this perfect blend. You know, just everything about this movie ticks all the boxes for me. Because he becomes more human as it goes on. Yeah. Like you, you sort of, you know, you don't really, well, you don't see him for a good part of it and he's Mr. Invisible. And, <laughs> and then when he gets, you know, when he, after he bleeds, we can kill it. You yeah. see him sitting on the log and he just cracks out a little, uh, a little ready medical Stitches kit and starts up. stitching himself up, you know, with a bit of a needle and thread. Yeah. And the thing is, guys, as the movie goes on, we see his vulnerability increase. Yes, Like they're exactly. working out, they're solving the riddle of Predator. They see him bleed on the leaf and they know, well, if he bleeds, we can kill it. They know that it bleeds. They know it's killable. They know now that it's a, it, it's a, it's a living being. It's not some mechanical being. And then later on when Arnie figures out about the, you know, the mud impairing its heat detection, uh, its yeah. vision, and he can't yeah. be seen. I mean, 
the way you can figure this out slowly, it's like unraveling. We as a viewer are unraveling the mystery yeah. of Predator. We're solving the riddle along with Arnie and this ensemble cast. And then at the same time, we're getting this magnificent backstory, this cultural backstory of, hey, these, there's this story being told. The woman says, you know, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. Her ancestors have said about these creatures coming that yeah. you know, hunt humans. So we're getting that these guys have been around for hundreds of years doing this. Yeah. And now we are going to see through these guys' eyes this mythical creature for the first time. There's so much the sci-fi, yes. the, the, the action all brought together in one. It's magnificent. So they, they, you touched on the two things that really resonated with me in the rewatch. The first was... This is much closer to something like The Expendables than I realised with the yeah, cast, with yeah. the all-star cast because yep. they were already known people too because you're pulling out all these people from different areas. You've got Bill Duke from Commando. You've got Carl Weathers from Rocky. You've got Jesse Ventura from the world of wrestling. And you've got Arnold from bloody everything. Like that is – I would love to see an Expendables sequel these days where they fight a predator or something. Like let's 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 um, – Try try and explore the different lap pack genres. I think that would be the right. Last you one. know, was there uh, had there ever been before that a strong and ensemble yeah. cast in a pure action not. action film? I don't you think know, so. Prob- right? Probably not. There've yeah. been several ensemble films. There've been action films with ensemble cast, but that level, that high level action film that mixed a also a genre of sci fi. There'd yeah. never been an ensemble cast like that. And to me, that's yeah. the great appeal. Is that. I love all those characters. At one moment, I'm loving Jesse Ventura's character, character. And then I'm loving Billy's character. Then I'm loving Arnie's character. Yeah. Then I'm loving the woman's character. I'm, you know, at a different point in the movie, you get emotionally attached to each character. So when each one eventually yeah. meets their fate, a little part of your like, heart uh, dies with you them. Actually, and you, it's beautiful. You're actually invested in all these characters. It's not like, you know, some movies where it's like, well, that person's going to die and I don't really care. Like each yeah. person is like, it's a moment where you're like, ah. Oh, and they even round yeah. it out with their weapons. So, like, you, you can kind of know, you know, like you said, you've got Jesse with the with Old Faithful, the helicopter man and machine gun. <laughs> and then you've got you've got Billy's a little bit, you know, he's got weapons, but he's also got the big machete. You know, like they've all, they've mm. just got their, it's like a whole package of, oh, I like that guy. Oh, no, I kind of like that guy. Yeah. And the, the other thing that I loved, which you touched on, Michael, was it is a bit of a genre mashup too. Like when I'm watching this thing, it's almost like three movies in one. Like the first third is sort of the traditional action movie. Then sort of the middle section is almost like a horror movie where they're getting picked off one by one. Yeah. And then the final part is just like when it's just Arnie versus Predator. Man, I could almost just watch that as an entire movie. Just this like this slow build, the preparation, the minimal dialogue. And you're following every step. It's all engaging. It's not slow. But it's just so. Oh, and you're it. also shot in this very claustrophobic yeah. atmosphere of the jungle. You're constantly in the jungle where you're surrounded by the buzzing of mosquitoes. Yeah. You can hear birds buzzing in the trees, the leaves, trees surrounding you everywhere, snakes, other creatures around. So there's this constant movement of the atmosphere. There's no bland backgrounds, no yeah. bland atmosphere. There's yeah. no slow moments yeah. in Predator. Even when nothing has seemingly happened, it's the, still the atmosphere is happening, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's, it, to me it's, it's a genius film. It really is. It goes beyond a simple action film. It goes to the level of this was a genius film that I just haven't seen anything like it since, to be honest. I agree. I agree 100%. And, you know, so we recently did From Dusk Till Dawn on the podcast a few about a month ago. Yeah. And what is interesting about that movie is like it starts as sort of one genre and then it becomes another genre. It goes from like being sort of a, 
bank robbery movie into a vampire movie. And we were trying to think at the time, like, what other movies do that? This movie does that. Like, if you went into, the, if you just removed that opening clip of the spaceship, if you went into this not knowing anything about this movie, you start off just thinking it's an action movie and then suddenly it's an alien. I, I love that mm. so much <laughs> that it just. Yeah, you, you yeah. don't know. You're right. You cut out the start, the spaceship, and it's like yeah. you're in a, a mercenary film. Yeah, you're yeah, another, yeah. It's another mercenary film yeah. in a jungle, a pretty cool one. They're going to extract this guy out of this camp. They're going to get away with it. This is the whole movie's going to be up. And then all of a sudden, hello, new player, dude from space. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Bio, bio, organic, mechanical. Yeah. It's, it's just on every level, this film just, you sit there glued to it and there's no slow moments. I mean, I can think of so many action films and there's slow moments. There's often slow yeah. moments where they've stretched it out or yeah. nothing's really happening. Uh-huh. But it's just the the atmosphere, the music, even the, the, everything the about Predator is like you're yeah. on the edge of your seat. Because yeah. we found that with a lot of the action movies we cover is we still ultimately like them, but there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of moments where you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. This, there's none yep. of that of this. But then interestingly with the, with the um, From Dust Till Dawn thing, so that's directed by Robert Rodriguez, I would argue that maybe he was even inspired by this movie. So that the, the oh, classic yeah. of changing on, genres halfway through. Oh, because genre he's, a, he's a massive fan of Predator because he actually wrote the script for Predators, which was became the third Predator movie. But he wrote that way back in 94 when he was making Desperado. and um, Just as a spare in the downtime. Uh, yeah, in the downtime. That's what you do, right? You've <laughs> you got a set break when you make yeah. a movie. Right, that one. eventually got made in 2010. I think it's one of the better sequels. Well, the one that I, one of the sequels I really liked was I don't know which one it was. Um, the one that had Adrian Brody. Yeah, in it, yeah, that's that one. They, oh, that's that one. Yeah. Okay, so that's the one. I love that where they dropped on the planet. Exactly. They're all prisoners. I think that works as all, a perfect sequel. Oh, fantastic! Because yeah. all at the start of it, they're all like, "How do we get here?" They got to piece together what do we have in common that brought all of us together. Yeah. And then what's going on? And where's the common, the common thread between them? And then there's the common enemy, the predator. You yeah. know. So for me. When I, the original is the best, but out of the sequels that came later, that one with Adrian Brody, which is the one you were just talking about, yeah. so it's Predators, guys. That's what it's yeah. called, Predators. Yeah. To me, that that was awesome. I would have gone that as the second film because that was amazing. I agree. Like that, that those two together, perfect. And what was happened it, to yep. Adrian? I was going to ask what happened to Adrian Brody, but do you want to finish your point? Well, he, Adrian Brody had the, the curse of the old. You know, some people win an Oscar and then you never see them again. Yeah, win an Oscar, <laughs> the the early Oscar, the early Oscar, and then you never see them again. Oh, yeah, got to yeah, yeah. got to. Watch out for the early Oscar. I think with Adrian Brody, his nose became so big he eventually just <laughs> fell over and he couldn't get up again. It's like a dorsal fin. I think Halle Berry, Halle Berry put some seeds out about about him after she oh, after yeah. he uh, grabbed hold of her, non-consensually passed her in front of the world after accepting his thing. Hey, now we're talking about sequels. Now, now indulge me, guys. I have an idea here. Now. The sequels to the Predator movies have been met with mixed mixed reactions, let's say. Uh-huh. I put it to you that maybe, just maybe they were focusing on the wrong character. So what if, I've got a, I've got a little re-pitch here for, for the kind of extended universe, a trilogy of sorts around this movie, and I call it the John Matrix trilogy. Ooh. So where I'm going with this is, what if Predator was actually a sequel to Commando? Ooh. So Commando happens, yada, yada, yada. I'm not going to recap the whole plot of Commando, but basically, you know, he protects his daughter, Alyssa Bellato, yada, yada, yada. She grows up to be hot. <laughs> she grows up to be hot. She goes off to college and poor old John Matrix is now like, he doesn't have a purpose anymore. 
And so he, he, he decides to accept one final mission with the old gang. Keep going. Which ends up being, you know, in Mexico with Dylan and the gang. Yeah, right. What ends up becoming this movie. So, so you've got, you got, you got John Matrix Part 1, which is John Matrix, colon, Commando. And you've got John Matrix Part 2, which is John Matrix... In, col- the, in the jungle. <laughs> colon, Predator, in the jungle. And then... Here's the here's the clincher. Oh, the third one is Alyssa Milano, the college years. No, mm. that, that's a spin-off. You can watch that in your own time. Okay. Flash trophies. <laughs> no, the the third one is Die Hard. So let's say instead of John McClane, it's John Matrix. And let's say it's a few years later. Ah. Now, Arnold, not Arnold, John Matrix. I've got a few notes on this one I'm going to have to refer to. So actually there was a fan theory when we covered Die Hard, Die Hard in the past. Uh-huh. There, there was this old fan theory that it was meant to be a sequel to Commando, which turned out not to be true. But I'm running with that right now. So pretend it's the same character. Um, so pretend it's a few years after what went down in Central America. That kind of experience coming up against a predator like that, that sticks with you. Now, seeing, seeing your best mates skinned, skinned alive, yeah, mutilated. Flayed. I think flayed, flayed is the term. I learned that from Game of Thrones. <laughs> flayed, destroyed before your very eyes, hunted by an unstoppable predator that wants nothing but to hang you in his trophy room. A good old-fashioned flesh trophy. <laughs> um, that shit sticks with you. So, so um, no, not Dutch. I never said Dutch. So, no, John Matrix, Matrix. after killing the predator, he he's, there's a bit of a downturn. He has a bit of PTSD, which... Maybe he self-medicates a little too much with the old booze and whatnot. Um, he's sort of, he's a bit past rock bottom, actually. He's not doing great. Alyssa Milano, his daughter, Jenny Matrix, she's off to college at this point. No, no, she's past college. She's got a career at a bank at Nakatomi Plaza, mind oh, you. I thought you were going to say she's making that vampire movie. <laughs> That's on the side, yeah. Oh. She did make that vampire movie that we all Googled. That'd make your dad worried. <laughs> yeah. Well, their, their relationship suffers because he's over there being an alcoholic and whatnot. But he sees an opportunity to, to, to build a bit of a bridge and he goes to visit her at work on Christmas Eve at Nakatomi Plaza where she's working and then Die Hard happens. So I think there's an opportunity there for John Matrix Part 3, Die Hard, for that, the John Matrix trilogy to stitch these three movies together in, a, in an interesting way. Something there. Actually, I, I, I like the way you threaded that together. I was literally intrigued by that. That's, that's really good. I'm, uh, truly, truly good. <laughs> Get Joel Silver on the line. <laughs> We're <gonna> Joel. Do- <laughs> the good thing is you don't even really have to change the movies. You can kind of just watch them and pretend it's the same character. <laughs> <laughs> you know what else is interesting about this movie? Speaking of an all-star cast, how's this for all-star? Two governors and one porn star in this movie. So obviously you had oh, the, yeah. you had the governor, you had Arnold, who was the governor of California, the thirtieth right. governor, yeah, Jesse Ventura, the governor of Minnesota, the governor yes. of Minnesota, yep. Who, who who was the porn star? The porn star who also ran for governor who but failed. Failed, yeah. Sonny <laughs> Landham, Billy. So Billy, the Native American. Billy's a porn star. He's a porn like a legit porn star. Like really, not like the Italian stallion, not like a Rocky thing where he did one. Interesting thing. He was straight up porn star. So like full on Ron Jeremy porn star. hundred percent. So wow. I was looking at his Wikipedia and I'm not going to go through <laughs> them all because there's so many, but just in 1974 alone, just 1974, a movie called Special Order, Come Fly With Us, Happy Days, The Love Bus, The Switch or How to Alter Your Ego, Cheese, The oh, Private Cheese Up. Cheese is a horrible name for, <laughs> for a porn movie. <laughs> 
The private afternoon. So, so, so Billy was pretty much the ultimate flesh trophy <laughs> yeah, for yeah. the Predator. That exactly. was really That's him. why he wanted That's, what, that's all he wanted. He had the most flesh trophies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa. They could have ended the movie right there on the bridge <laughs> with a fight between Predator and Billy, ultimate flesh trophy, gotten, <laughs> done, cut the movie, that's the end. Exactly. exactly. And he could have spared all their lives. He, that's why Billy was staring off. He knew he was there for his flesh trophy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, interestingly... Well, no, this is really interesting because actually in the original script, he was supposed to survive till the end. So that actually works. That's right. It was him in the chopper, not, not, not the chick. Not female. Not sideboob. <laughs> not sideboob, yeah. Yeah, interesting. interesting. And so by my count, it was 20 pornos in five years in the 70s that he made. And so he started getting into mainstream films. He was in the movie. Most production doesn't take that long. Yeah, <laughs> on pornos. There's no, they're not going to the Mexican jungle for the. For, the private afternoons of Pamela Mann. That's not. Or cheese. <laughs> or cheese. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> the passions of Carol. Mansion. The passions of Carol. Carol's. That's, that's my wife's name. Yeah. So I'll have to, to check that one out. But he, he broke mainstream, I think, in The Warriors. Ah, uh, yes. Warriors. He was in but that. he wasn't big in that, apparently. No, it was, that was his first little part. And then he, he got, just got a few more. This was still early days in the post porn career. Now, I do have a little clip. Now, it's nothing obscene. It's just. You know, pornos back in those days were very story-driven. So I've got a little clip. With a good funk soundtrack. One of the great setups of... Um, <laughs> oh, really? His, Is his, this the special delivery one? I hope. He's a milkman. <laughs> he's a milkman, of course. Hang on. Good morning, Ms. Walden. Uh, wow. I have an extra quart of milk left over this morning. Oh, of course. Always milk left over. I sure hate to take it back to the dairy. Uh, Make some cheese. Would you like it? <laughs> of course. I'll it's a take prequel it. to cheese. <laughs> Put it on our bill. Oh, there's not going to be any charge for it. It'd just go to waste anyway. Have a nice morning now. I'm not sure what happens after that. He, he but walked away, so guess. that's... Yeah, usually something else happens at that point in a porno, but, yeah, interesting. Um, wow, so what an I interesting ne- fellow. Never knew. Never knew that yeah. he was a porn star. And he, what, what, what state did he try to go for governor of? Uh, New Mexico? Kentucky. Or? Kentucky. Kentucky? Yeah. I would imagine wow. they're fairly liberal down there. What? Well, he <laughs> did lose. So, yeah. You know. Well, and he's also... The, the part that made me Google him alive? specifically, I think he's still alive. The part that made me Google him specifically was when John McTiernan, the director, was talking about him specifically. He said, oh, yeah, Sonny. Oh, yeah, we had to get security. Not for him, for everyone else. No, he goes, he, yeah, he goes, the bodyguard. He goes, yeah, we had a – so Sonny had a bodyguard come along. And he goes, but the bodyguard wasn't for Sonny. It was for everyone else. So apparently it's a bit of a loose cannon. So he bought this guy and apparently the bodyguard was huge. Yeah. Um, and he was just wandering around the set everywhere Sonny went because, so Sonny didn't Sonny get Sonny kept trying and, to deliver milk to people. Yeah, apparently. Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pam Shriver came for a visit and he tried to slip her a quart. Wow. That's, gr- that, that's a great tidbit, guys. Good pick up. <laughs> uh, I was, I was going to talk to the, uh, the Aussie connection. I don't know if you guys are aware oh, of the Aussie yeah. connection to this film. Like a, any good Australian, you'll always try and sniff out an Aussie connection. It's almost an Australian movie, how, depending on how you define it. Well, I'd basically say it's it's up there with uh, the Crocodile Dundee or <laughs> yeah. or uh, Breaker Morant. Um, <laughs> Breaker Morant. Breaker Morant. 
intentional choice there. So <laughs> the cinematographer for this film was a chap by the name of Don McAlpine. Now I will have to claim ignorance. I hadn't heard of Don, McAl- uh, Don McAlpine before. Me neither. But he was the cinematographer for this film. Now John McTiernan, the, the director, and as Tristan talked to earlier, he's the director of Die Hard. He's had a huge career. He This was his first sort of really big film and Don came on as a uh, relatively experienced uh, cinematographer and really took him under his wing. Mm. And at the time they were having all this trouble with the um, – with the Mexican local film crew, so apparently the Mexican had the Mexicans had this outrageous union, and they <laughs> they got there to film and they pumped in like two three hundred people to work on this film, and that was quadruple what they needed on the set. And these guys just loitered around the set, just being there, kind of getting in the way. Yeah, <laughs> and so there was this big thing where they had to get rid of a lot of them, like pay them to leave. But then there was still a bunch of guys that were pretty dis. They were just. Now, let's call them surly. They were surly guys and they weren't really helping and they were getting the road. So Don flew over a bunch of One Oz- thing I read said there was syndicato. They were syndicato. I, what does that mean? Does that mean they're like – I think it's uh, Mexican uh, – sorry, Spanish for syndicate. Uh, yeah, but does that mean like they're gangsters of some I sort? I think, yeah. Well, it's a union yeah. so you – know, Oh, okay. They were, they were heavily – we use the word union but they, that's probably not fair to unions. I but, like syndicato. Yeah, syndicato. <laughs> It's like Sicario. <laughs> Just come out and call it a cartel. Yeah, it's a cartel. Okay, guys. Yeah. Really, yeah. we're beating around the bush. It's a cartel. Yeah. It's a cartel. Yeah. So they've, the cartel, syndicato, cartel, they're there <laughs> and they basically brought it. Don said, I've got some guys that will sort this out. So he brought a bunch of Aussies over to basically manage these guys and there was a handful wow. of Aussies there directing a group of people and it kind of got things moved, got the, got the oil on the wheels in the early stages and then once they saw the movie they were making, they got on board and things started to work. But he was very influential at that point. So this guy, and the cinematography is obviously awesome, but this guy, Don uh, McAlpine, he's legit, man. So he has since done a bunch of big films that we we all know. Um, He got an Academy Award for Moulin Rouge, so he's done stuff with Baz Luhrmann. He also did um, Romeo and Juliet. Um, What else has he done? He's done a heap of big movies. So Don McAlpine, basically an Aussie saved the day here. Wow. As, as oh, he did Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. And yeah. did Patriot Games. Oh, and that's the, one little nugget I found on this guy. He started as a PE teacher in Australia. In Parks, in, in Parks, New South Wales. <laughs> a very famous town, Parks, where they had the satellite dish that helped to broadcast. The radio, radio the yeah. From exactly. the movie The Dish. From yeah, the movie The, the dish. Generation, Working Dog. Did he, now, did he do that? He should have done the cinematography. He owes it to Parks. I he hope probably he did. He, he does. Maybe he did. Yeah. I hope Maybe so. Maybe he did. Yeah, so that's a great story from PE teacher to Predator Isn't it? and beyond. He did Patriot Games wow. as well. He's done a lot. Yeah, yeah he's wow. he's a big deal. Yeah, massive. Now I wanted to talk a little bit about the director, John McTiernan, as well. So he he's quite he's pretty interesting. Unconsciously, I didn't really think about it too much at the time, but we've already covered Commando and Die Hard, which are both John McTiernan movies. No, no, sorry. Die Hard is John McTiernan. Yeah. Commander's not. Last Action Hero. Last Action Hero, yeah, Last Action Hero. Which when you look at these three movies, Predator, Die Hard, and Last Action Hero, they're both, everything we'll saying about this movie when we started, it's like an action movie that gets, you know, high 80s on Rotten Tomatoes. It's an action movie that stands the test of time. It's There's no boring bits. There's a lot going on in there. It's like it, it, it's activated on every level. It's a mashup of genres, all that kind of shit. And the same goes for Die Hard. When we covered that movie, that was a new era that ushered in a new era of action movies. The fact that you could have a Bruce Willis type and not an Arnold type, 
in a role like that, despite my very compelling repitch of how that could yeah. have been Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> of changing their names. But so this guy has been very instrumental in like these milestones of action movies. So from this movie yeah. into ushering in a new era with, with Die Hard, which was just the year after this, by the and way. And that was the sort of the non, the non, the, the guy you wouldn't see in Commando. Yeah. Like John McClane is a pretty, Bruce Willis is, is a, I'm a huge fan, but you know, like he was a bit less of a stereo. He was a well, and at that point, he was a comedy guy. He was a comedy guy. He yeah. was his yeah. first action movie. Yeah. Moon, moonlighting and yeah, uh, that's right. And yeah, a lot of that stuff he'd done. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so John McTiernan, fresh off the set of Predator, is flying back to the US with Joel Silver, and Joel is saying to Joel Silver, "I think I'm going to take some time off after this one." Joel says, "After the next one, yeah. <laughs> it's called Die Hard." <laughs> and so he goes and makes Die Hard. But then even the last action hero. We covered recently, and it, it it doesn't hold up as as much as the other two. Have you? Do you remember that one? Have you seen that Last Action Hero? Yeah, yeah. in recent years. Yeah, I, you know, I watched it again on an airplane a few years ago, and when it came out, yeah. I remember thinking it was kind of cool, but there was a lot of boring parts, a lot of yes, slow parts. Exactly. Yeah, you know, a lot of slow. The, the action parts were good, and the comedy was good, but there was too much slowness was, in between. Was, that do you know? It's, you want to sort of fast forward. It's two hours and forty minutes. It doesn't hold a candle to a diehard, you know what I'm no, saying? No, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Here's a funny story I got about diehard just quickly while oh, we're yeah. talking oh, yeah, about yeah. it. The first time I I saw diehard was on VHS. I was too young to see it at the movies, but I remember seeing the poster for it when it came out at the movies, the big billboard, yep. and the tagline was, or in Australia at least, it was 40 stories of terror, right? Oh, yeah. And I thought at the time, how could a movie had 40 different stories? That sounds boring. <laughs> Whether you yeah. tell 40 stories. No, I realized it was 40 stories, yeah, like yeah, building yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah. After those 40 <laughs> different stories of terror, I thought, oh, that's good yeah. I didn't see it for so long. Mind you, I was 12 years old, 13. <laughs> I didn't see it for so long because I thought, I don't watch 40 different stories of terror. It's <laughs> a lot of stories. It's a lot of stories. How am I going to remember any, half of them? <laughs> right. It was a short, a horror short film festival. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a child's mind at work, isn't it? Yep. That's yep. great. Brilliant. I think the common thread with these three movies is it's like action movie with a twist. Each one, action movie with a twist. And this guy's really interesting. So both Greg and I tried, I didn't make it all the way through, watch the director's commentary yeah. with, with this guy. And he he's very he talks very quiet, it's kind of so it's kind of hard to listen to. But if you can if you can do it, it's worth it because he unleashes some nuggets that are pretty interesting. And the one thing that he said about this movie in particular was all of the obviously it's it's very macho movie, it's very hyper masculine, lots of guns and stuff. But he's kind of anti guns, and he had a problem with Hollywood always pushing guns. And so that whole scene of yeah the um what's it called the uh, uh, old painless, old painless, and all, all the guns shooting into the jungle, into the jungle, and coming up with nothing. They didn't kill anyone. He was like, "I wanted to show that that's the the guns don't save the day. It's not about the guns." And ultimately, yeah, because Arnie beats him without a gun. Because they well, uh, yeah, ultimately Arnie beats him by, as I said, solving yeah, with his mind, having yeah. to figure it out. It's not, it's not, a, and you can't have a gun to beat Predator. You have a gun, he's going to kill you. Yeah, so yeah, you know, exactly. to figure that out, and it's it's a great point that he that he makes. You know that the guns in every other action film are the totality of the action. It's yeah. ended with guns, but this one was a matter of figuring it out with your brain how to defeat a, a, a apparently uh, superior intelligence in an you know in an, in an uh, extraterrestrial intelligence. Exactly. Correct. So this guy that's made these iconic action movies, he's actually not 
originally an action guy. He started in theatre. And so it's interesting that he, he keeps taking his action movies but then adding his own little his own little influence and making a little twist, making it Making a little bit of perfection. But it still works for everyone. You can watch it as an action movie. You don't have to pay attention to that, you know, subtext of anti-guns or whatever. It's still great. I, yeah. But he's putting his little... I would say just on the whole anti-gun thing. So it's probably not anti-gun. But well, yeah, he is. He well, is, he, he is, he, but he, the movie, yeah. Well, the bit where, yeah, because he was like, yeah, you want a gun scene, I'll give you a gun scene. So he gave him that outrageous scene where they're all pumping all kinds of ammo into the jungle and his whole thing is, oh, but it, we, the bit was it didn't hit anyone. Yeah. And I was like, man, 10-year-old Greg, 12-year-old Didn't get Greg, <laughs> did not get that. I just got, look at all these fucking awesome guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry, you're a bit too meta for the for the youth audience. But. <laughs> oh, hey, well, th- I wanted to ask you, Michael, have you interviewed anyone from this movie specifically? Or, or uh, met, have you met you know Arnold that, that, or anyone? No. Um, I wanted to interview Jesse Ventura for oh, years yeah. uh, when I did the Voice Versus show that I hosted yeah, in the yeah. US, but never, never got a chance to interview him just because I was such a big fan of Jesse. Um, you know, from a commentary point of view, him and Gorilla Monsoon were my favourite commentary uh, tag yeah. team of, of all time. But no, unfortunately, I sort of danced around every, with everyone else in the action scene world, but not with, never with Arnie. Right. Give, us, give us your highlights from, the, from that series. From which series? The Sorry, voice from, versus. from the Voice Versus. Oh, from the Sorry, Voice yeah, Versus. Yeah. Well, man, um, Frank Dukes. The, Frank Dukes. Sorry, not to put words in your Frank Dukes. I mean, there's a guy you guys should interview on your show. Oh my god, would love to get in touch with Frank. I'll um, I'll love to put you in touch with Frank. He is a blast to talk to, and whether you believe uh, <laughs> yeah. everything he says, I. I get on well with Frank. I respect Frank, but it's up to as you guys know, hosting a podcast. I hosted a TV show. You present something and let your viewers decide for themselves. Yeah. It was the same interviewing Steven Seagal. There's so much stuff Seagal <laughs> says in the interview we did with him, a very infamous interview, as I said, it's gone viral. Yeah. But you at home think what you want to think. You make up your mind if it's all true or not. And, you know, you, you talk about the most memorable one. Frank was definitely memorable and, and, and Steven Seagal. I mean, spending a day with Seagal is as surreal as it gets. When you're there and you're getting mic'd up for this TV interview yeah, and the guy who's micing up, the sound guy, comes over to me and he goes, I've got to tell you something. I go, <laughs> what? He goes, Seagal's wearing under his shirt. I go, what do you mean? What's he wearing? He goes, he's wearing a bulletproof vest. <laughs> I'm like, we're in, we're in the Phoenician Hotel Resort in the penthouse suite on a 47-degree day in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Seagal's wearing a bulletproof vest under his shirt. And then we're, we're about to shoot, and Seagal's got a bum bag that he wears, or a fanny pack, they call it in America, yeah, yeah. and it, it's, in, it's in shot. So my producer, who's an Emmy Award-winning producer, God rest his soul, he passed away a few years ago, Daryl Ewalt, says to Stephen, he goes, oh, Mr. Seagal, we're going to move your bum bag out of shot. So Daryl goes to pick up Stephen's bum bag to move it, and Stephen's like, sir, be very, very careful. <laughs> if you drop that bag, there are many things in there that could kill us all. <laughs> so Daryl picks up the bum bag with all the, the care of, <laughs> of Indiana Jones handling the Havitas Natal's gold idol yeah. and he takes it out of shot. And then he comes up to me and I go, Daryl, what's in the bum bag? And he goes, guns. I'm like, guns, plural. He goes, yeah, I think he's got like five handguns in the bum oh bag. I'm like, what? And then we're doing the interview with Seagal and, you know, when you're shooting a TV interview, a a two-person interview, all your crew's on that side. You've got one camera behind me, one behind Stephen, 
a dolly and the producers, the directors over here, but over here there's nothing. That's your background, your camera's facing there. But all throughout the interview, for an hour and a half interview, Stephen is sniffing, touching his nose, blinking and looking off camera all the time. Like he's expecting someone to burst through the door and and come in all guns blazing. It was really weird, this real sense of paranoia about him while we're doing the interview. And, um, you know, we got on like a house on fire, but... Afterwards, he was not happy. He, 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 he had final cut of the interview, which is, oh. you guys know, final cut is when a network says to the, 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 the subject, we'll give you the right to put or take in whatever part you want. You can have final say, which is something sure. networks never give out. Yeah. But we wanted Seagal's first ever interview for one hour on TV and we agreed to that. He never took us up on it. And he thought we edited his comments where we asked him who was the most legit martial yeah. arts uh, yep. actor in Hollywood. And I said, Michael Jai White, yeah. who to me is the most legit martial arts actor bar none in Hollywood. And Stephen's like, can I laugh in your yeah. face? <laughs> yeah. And then I said, you know, Van Damme. And he's like, can I laugh in your face? Yeah. And he got so pissed off. Because he's worked with, Mike, he's worked with TV, Michael Jai White. That, yeah. He, he bumped into Michael Jai White in Bangkok. Michael Jai White was telling me oh. this because Michael Jai and I are close friends. Yeah. Stephen bumped into Michael Jai White in Bangkok Michael Jai put it on Stephen in the lobby of the hotel and Stephen's like, oh, Chevello, that fat little Jew, he Whoa. put words in my mouth. And I'm like, I am not Jewish, right? <laughs> <laughs> but B, how do, you, how do you put words in someone's yeah. mouth? How can you do that? When it shows you on TV yeah. talking those words, yeah. how could I put words in your mouth? Oh so, you know, it was this whole snowball effect with, with Stephen. But, you know, Stephen's one of those, and in my book there's a whole chapter on it. He's one of those people where you can drill so much yeah. into his psyche before you either strike gold or your drill bit just explodes into a thousand <laughs> pieces. It's, it's, it's incredible. I tell you what, I reckon I reckon you're in the right on that one. There's so many, like him and Chase CV, they have a bit of banter, go, like a bit of rivalry going. They had healthy rivalry because it made sense. Yeah, so they had healthy rivalry. If you're both sort of angling for that Top Gun, I'm you gotta you gotta have an air of legitimacy yeah. to your look. To your the thing is, guys, I've been in the martial arts game as a broadcaster, as a journalist since 1992, a long time. I've met, I've interviewed all of them: Chuck Norris, Jackie Chan, Van Damme, Seagal, uh, Judo Jean LaBelle. Yeah, uh, you know yeah. everyone, man, of the show. everyone, yeah. all of them. If we're talking legit, yes. Seagal is a legitimate Aikido master, legitimate martial artist. Right. Yes, Jean-Claude Van Damme, legitimate martial artist. Jackie Chan, legitimate martial artist. The one that kicks all their asses, Michael Jai White. Really? Spawn himself. Michael Jai White kicks all their asses. There's a reason why so many UFC fighters and K1 fighters do private training sessions with Michael Jai White. Really? There's a reason. And I'm talking top-level guys yeah. who do private one-on-ones with Michael Jai White because Michael Jai is that qualified. He is that damn wow. good. I've always thought Michael Jai White should be a bigger star. 
Like he does, he's great. And you know what? Michael Jai, theatre trained, yeah, classically wow. trained actor, has been in some great non-action stuff as well. I'm thrilled he wrote the forward for my book. He was one of the two forwards. One was one is that, by yeah. Michael Jai White, one's by Bill Goldberg, Goldberg the wrestler. Right. But Michael Jai is so qualified as a martial artist and such a great actor. And you see him in anything from Blood and Bone, which is a brilliant action film, where you see some of the best martial arts moves you'll ever see on camera. And then you see him in Black Dynamite. Where the comic, you know, the comic oh, element of Black Dynamite is brilliant. You, you know, yeah. you, you just um, Michael Jai's range is phenomenal, and I agree. Michael Jai should have been such a bigger name uh, th- than what he is, and he's still churning out great films and a, yeah. and a great human being on top of that. Well, I remember when it, when Spawn first came out. I was I was a teenager still then. I yeah, think just as a big Spawn fan, I was into generally. the comic book Spawn. But Michael Jai, Jai White was in that, and I always thought this is the moment. This is this is going to be a massive well, film, and Michael J. White's well, going to be propelled into stuff. I thought the same for Exit Wounds because I was like, this oh, guy's yeah. incredible. Like he, he had the look, he had the skills. Yeah. If yeah. any of the any of you guys fans that are watching this and you haven't seen Michael J. White and you want to see, just check out those two films. Just yeah. check out Blood and Bone. Okay, for. Crazy! Action. I haven't seen that. I have to get that. Oh, blood and bones! Right, there's so many cameos in there as well. You guys will freak out. It's fantastic. <laughs> okay, check out Blood and Bone, and also check out Black Dynamite. Black Dynamite's one of my favorite films of all time, and it's a comedy with action. It is a a, a, a send up of the black exploitation yeah. films of the 1970s. Yeah, nice. It is on another level of genius, Black Dynamite is phenomenal. Go and grab it now and watch it. I cannot recommend it highly enough. I might watch that tonight. (laughs) Yeah, uh, no doubt. It is brilliant. It is amazing. Uh, Oh, hey, you mentioned Jean LaBelle as well. Something we've talked about on this show a couple of times is the urban legend of Jean LaBelle and Steven Seagal. Yeah, so let me tell you there. um, (laughs) It was was on my list of questions and part of the agreement with Seagal again, first ever, only ever person I've ever interviewed in my life and I've interviewed everyone who demanded to see a set of questions before the interview. (laughs) So two nights before I emailed a list of questions to Stephen, rang me on the phone. He's like, Michael, there's certain questions in here I don't want you to ask. First of all, about my work for the CIA. <laughs> yes, it's true that I did black ops work for the CIA, but every time I talk about my black ops work for the CIA, someone from the Pentagon rings me and they go, Stephen, you shouldn't be talking about your black ops work for the CIA. So I don't want, seriously, it's on the phone. So Very Michael, Frank I don't Duke's want you, there. <laughs> I don't want you asking me about the CIA. He goes, and also this question about judo Jean LaBelle choking me out on set. Yeah. I will now give you the edited version of what Stephen told me on the phone about, I couldn't <laughs> ask him on the film about Jean LaBelle. I had to scrap those questions. Yeah. This is what Stephen said to me on the phone about Jean LaBelle, word for word. You got it? Ready? Yeah. That Jean LaBelle. <laughs> Jean LaBelle. <laughs> Jean. <Whoa. laughs> Old. <laughs> Jean LaBelle. <laughs> okay, Michael. <laughs> so that's a yes. Yeah, it sounds like a yes to me. <laughs> you can gather what he said. Yeah, 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 yeah. Man, wow. I would not mess with Gene LaBelle to this day. And what's yeah. he? What's he's getting on a bit now? The great man. Uh, you know, last time I saw Judo Gene, he was a, a judge at a mixed martial arts fight. I was commentating in Burbank, California. It may have been 
five years ago. Gene's a legend, man, yeah, absolute legend. He's, he's just trained with everyone and he's been in so many cameo appearances. Yeah, he's been legit, in heaps. Legit. He was in yeah. – oh, What did we see him in something? He was in the taxi. What was that? Uh, goes back to the Bruce Lee days, man. Yeah. Goes back to the Bruce Lee days, you know. Pete so, Gee trained Ronda, Ronda Rousey's um, coaching Right, mentor. very close with Ronda. Did a lot of stuff with Ronda over the years as well. Uh, Judo Gene is, is awesome, man. I love, I love Gene. He's, he, he's got this whole grandfather thing about him too. He gives you a big hug and a heavy uh, handshake. Yeah, but, I love Gene, man, and, uh, you know, just again, people can decide for themselves whether they want to believe it or not, but the rumour is it's become the the, the Richard Gere gerbil story yeah. of the martial arts <laughs> world that um, Gene LaBelle apparently choked Stephen unconscious on a movie set. Um, it might have been on Deadly Ground. I'm not sure what movie it was, and that apparently Stephen allegedly, that's rumour only, I'll rumor say rumour only, only yep. pooped his pants. Yeah, yeah, he opened the bowels, went to sleep and opened the bowels. It does yep. happen. I've seen a guy, <laughs> wasn't Gene LaBelle or Steven Seagal, unfortunately, in the, there was a bar fight I witnessed at, uh, <laughs> at um, the Byron Bay Hotel. We got up there for oh, a Bucks wow. party and there was a group of um, that had a uh, like a surf lifesaving tournament across on the beach there that day. So all the all the boaties and all the guys had been drinking all day and they had this big dust up. I went to the bar, just, I just got there. So I stood there watching and having my beer and this guy got uh, clocked over the head and dropped oh. and just, he shat him, he shat himself. I'm like he was getting Jeez. up like a baby giraffe and he had like poop. Whoa. He was pooping. I was like, oh, I guess if, it's, if it happens at the wrong time when you're just kind of. Man, as Stone Cold <laughs> Steve Austin told me this, this hilarious story uh, in our Voice Versus episode about when he wrestled Yokozuna. Do you guys remember Yokozuna, the big 550-pounder? Did, did he have the w- black onesie? I, no, he was dressed like a sumo, oh, like okay, a sumo yeah, wrestler, yeah. and he, he, he fought Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 9. Anyway, he was a champion and Hulk took the title from him. Anyway, so he tells this story of wrestling Yokozuna in South Africa, and Steve Austin had eaten something bad the night before, and so when Yokozuna picked him up <laughs> and slammed him, Steve literally <laughs> in the middle of the match. And so he's saying to Yokozuna under his breath, he goes, Yo, we've got to go home, which is wrestler code for we've got to finish the match because he shit his pants in the middle <laughs> of the match. And he goes, and it's Steve telling us, it's not like I did an enormous shit. I'm not like I did a huge shit, but I shit my pants. I shot in my pants. There's shit everywhere. I'm like, Yoke, we got to go home now. So it's just alert. When it happens, guys, it happens. If you're getting slammed by a 550-pound you know, a sumo guy called Yokozuna in South Africa and you shit your dax, go back to the hotel. <laughs> yeah, it's time to go home. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You, you said something there actually that I think is awesome because when I watched your, your Voice versus series with Steven Seagal especially, you, you're very, well, A, patient, but you let them, like you said, you, you kind of ask them the question, let them present what they want to present and let the viewer make up their mind. Like you're very, you don't go in there necessarily trying to, Pin yeah. anyone down or anything. So I think it's provide the platform. Exactly. It's like very Louis Theroux. Yes. Louis Theroux is great too. Yeah, but, guys, um, if you um if you plan your questioning line the right way, um there's an old saying, you know, give him give him enough rope. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Right. So the key, I think, when you've got a controversial character, you've got a Frank Dukes, you've got yeah. a Steven Seagal, you've got someone like that who you know beforehand that your viewers aren't necessarily gonna trust verbatim what comes out of their mouth to be the truth. You know that. You know what the viewers are are thinking, okay? You've read about it on the internet, but you don't want to assume that because you don't want to put your guest 
on the outs with you from the get-go. Yes. So yeah. you need to feed the question line that allows them the chance to A, legitimise themselves genuinely or B, enough rope and hang themselves, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So it all yeah. depends on your questioning. If you're researched well enough and you can have your, your right questions and you're, you're silent enough to listen, that's the key to good yeah. interviews, to listen to your guests, not to interrupt and interject and in, inject yourself in there. Yeah. They'll take it one way or the other. And then, you know, your viewer can sit back and just marvel at Stephen Seagal, you know, saying, you know, is he the reincarnation of a 17th century <laughs> Buddhist monk, you know? Oh, my God. Uh, Frank Dukes, did UFC, was UFC created for him, you know? Did oh, he wow. beat 300 opponents in the Kumite? Yeah. I just asked the questions. Yeah. You make up your mind off the answer. Whether yeah. they hang themselves or they legitimise themselves in your mind is, is up to you. I love that. It's mad. I love that. Where did, how, how did you learn all this stuff? Because you started young, right? And I heard that you actually wanted to be an architect and then I did. I wanted to be an architect, architect so badly. I think <laughs> from growing up and watching the Brady Bunch. And Mike, wow. Mike Brady was an architect. He had a den. You know yeah. that cool den he'd always go and into just the, be the den. den. Brady we, call, we call and this he, room the den. Yeah. There reason. you go, right? Yeah. Mike Brady had the den. He had those cool cylinders he'd carry around. Yeah, the yeah, big yeah, with the plans. Yeah. I wanted to be an architect, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Mike Brady was cool. And then <laughs> it came, you know, year 10. And in year 10 in Australia, you're going to send out for work experience. And yeah. I sent out letters to like 20 architecture firms asking me to take them on for work experience, take me on for work experience. And not one of them wrote back, not even one, not even with a no. And really? I remember standing by the mailbox crying to my uh, mum, 15 years old, going, Mum, what am I going to do? None of the architecture firms have written back. And I'll never forget this guy. She looks at me and she goes, you've got a good voice. Why don't you do radio? I'm like, what? I don't have a good voice. I don't want to do radio. I want to be an architect. She goes, just just trust me. Just do radio. You've got a good voice. I think Amazing. you'd be good at it. Fucking well, mom. I used to listen to Triple M. Working yeah, Dog, yeah. The Degeneration, the guys yeah, at the yeah. end of the dish in the castle. Yes. And so I wrote to Triple M and lo and behold, I get a letter back and I still have the letter. I printed it in the photo section of the book coming out oh, and good. it's there. The letter is dated serendipitously on my birthday, April Whoa. 10, 1990. Same birthday as Steven Seagal, hey. April 10, right? <laughs> on my birthday, I get a letter that changes my life saying, come in for a week's work experience at Triple M. I go into Triple M. They put me in the newsroom with their journalists. That was it. All I wanted to do after that was uh, broadcast. It was just meant to be. And how did so it go good. from there into, because um, up, I mean, yeah, how did it go from there into the fight game? You, you broadcast. You know, I, I started doing community radio, doing a sports show when I was in year 11, year yeah. 12. I was doing some track and field commentary. I moved in the soccer commentary on radio when I was, you know, 16, 17 years old. And who's then your, who's your football promoter, teams? Uh, 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 who are my football yes. teams? I, I follow the Italian league, so I'm a big Juventus fan. Juve, yep, sure. I like Juventus. And then in the English Premier League, I, I toss between a little bit of Liverpool, a bit of Chelsea, a bit of Arsenal. It all depends. But mostly I like I like the Italian league. I Fair follow enough. Juventus. Yep. And I used to love commentating soccer. And a local fight promoter heard me commentate soccer and begged me to commentate kickboxing. I wanted nothing to do with it. I knew nothing no. about kickboxing commentary. And he begged and begged and begged. And I did it one night. I had a knack for it. And right at that time, Foxtel 
pay TV was coming to Australia and they'd heard me commentate and they rang and said, hey, do you want to commentate kickboxing for us? So at 21 years old, I was commentating on, on national television. You were, the young, you were the youngest ever, I think, right? That was youngest year. ever, youngest yeah. ever. And just one thing snowballed and led to another, led to another and got the international contracts and Olympics and Commonwealth Games and K1 and, and, and everything just, you know, took off. It's just through hard work. I never went to school for it. The only qualification I have is year 12 and I just taught myself you know, everything I know. So for those guys out there watching, I mean, you can do it, man. Just dedicate yourself. Have that desire. Don't want to desire it. And whatever you put your mind to, work hard enough at it and you you can do it. You know, there's, I, I'm not qualified for this. The only qualification I have is that I'll top anyone's resume in the amount of hard work, hard yards, yeah. hours I put into it and the experience I've gotten out of it. That's Amazing. great. So I imagine the book the book goes into this a bit as well. You know, the book covers it. It's it's not a it's not an autobiography. Yeah. I, I'm too young to write an autobiography. <laughs> I hate I hate reading That's books where it starts with I was born on this day and yeah, I yeah, yeah. you know I, I grew up here. Like, nah, get past that. <laughs> the book starts pretty much with Steven Seagal. Ah, yeah. think, think of the action, man, yeah, yeah, from the exactly. very start of the book. Okay? Like We're going hell for leather straight away. Straight oh, away. Action. You know, and you're Seagal and Hulk Hogan and Van Damme and Dana White and Joe Rogan and Jackie Chan and George Foreman and a whole lot of other athletes and celebrities. Ah. And, um, you know, there's something in there for everybody. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And, you know, especially if you're at a time in your life where you know someone who is struggling with direction yeah. or is being picked on, man, woman, girl, boy, fat, skinny, gangly, nerdy, whatever they're getting picked on for, please let them have a look at this book. I'm not trying to yep. sell copies. I really want to send a social message. Have a look at the book. Or if someone's bought the book, ask them to borrow the book. Go to the library and borrow the book at least yeah. and read it and just understand I was the bullied fat kid. I used to weigh 130 kilograms. I used to have zero confidence with women. I used to have a, you know, the only thing I had confidence of was this was my voice yep. and my writing. The two things that I was invisible with. You couldn't see me behind yeah, a radio. Sure. You, you, know, you couldn't see me through my words I wrote. But through writing and through talking, I gained the confidence. You know, I'm married now to a beautiful woman. I've got two kids. Um, you know, I, I weigh around uh, 92 kilos now, so 38 kilos less than at my heaviest. Right. Um, you know, I'm still big, but... I'm happy within myself and I'm happy with my life. And I really want the book to, to to bring this message to people that you can do it. You don't need all the tertiary qualification. You don't need to be, you know, you know I've had people tell me, guys, hey, you've got a woggy surname. You're not blonde hair and blue eyed. You do not fit the TV image. But here I am, the most watched Australian sports broadcaster in the world, Nielsen rated 81 million people for one championship into 150 countries. I, I, I still don't have that TV image that you expect people to have. Yeah. Okay. But I did it. And yeah. you can do it too, wherever you're watching. And even looking at you two guys, I love this. You know why? Because I'm talking to, and I, please leave this in the podcast. Okay. This is important. Yeah. I'm talking to you guys off air before, and I'm asking about your setup that I can see down here. Okay, your podcast setup, and you're telling me about the investment you made into that setup. And you are two guys who love what you're doing. The passion comes through, the research comes through, the fun comes through. And guys like Lee Patch, guys like Roger Ebert, they started like this. 
Okay, we didn't have the technology around then when yeah. Lee Patch and Roger Ebert yeah. started that yeah. many years ago. But they started with writing about movies. They started bringing their local radio stations and talking little movie reviews at two o'clock in the morning on some community radio network. And these days, there's so many opportunities for youngsters to do podcasts, to yeah. do you know Facebook Live, Instagram Live, YouTube Live. Get on there, show the world what you're made of, even if it's rough. Okay, just do it, yeah. and in a year's time. You won't recognize yourself, but you've got to start somewhere. So I'm saying to everyone out there, start today. Start somewhere. Have the guts. Put yourself out there. Do it and just go for it. That's such a great message for right now too. Like a lot of people, especially in Melbourne where you are, people are doing having a pretty rough time. Like locked down and some people struggle with all kinds of issues that are only amplified by that situation. So, And constraint is – like adversity is opportunity. You know, if people are stuck at home, you yeah. know, that, that is potentially some time to, you know, put pen to paper and start start planning some shit. And guys, really knock on the doors. Now's a great time yeah. to knock on doors. Man, I knocked on so many doors for so long before people gave me a break. I'm still knocking on doors today. I am trying to knock on so many doors and still it's so very hard, but you keep pounding away to opportunity and eventually someone's going to give you that opportunity. And when you get it, take it by the proverbials and do your best. And the most thing you can show guys, the most thing you can show in any profession, particularly if it's broadcasting is passion. It goes beyond knowledge. It goes beyond any sort of tertiary qualification. It's passion. If you have passion, people are going to see that and are going to want to work with you to try and improve you. If you don't bring passion, that's it. Look at the people in the game that I do. We spoke about Joe Rogan before. You know, myself, Joe Rogan, John Anik, Mitch Chilson, you know, uh, Jimmy Smith, any of the commentators. Yeah. We're not not professionally schooled. We didn't go to commentary school for this. We taught ourselves and we had passion, so we got the opening of the door for us. Uh, I'm pumped. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) got to quit my job. Ah, (laughs) That's great. That's great. I mean, we uh, you really hit a vein there with kind of how we feel about the podcast. (laughs) We like to – it is our passion project, I guess, so it's – Hopefully that comes through. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We probably probably care more than we let on in the show. (laughs) (laughs) Now we probably do have to bring it back to Predator just briefly. I'm sure we could. I mean, we'd love to chat all night, but I guess we have to. <laughs> you probably got things to do. Probably got a life outside. Of this <laughs> Look at those guys in Predator. They weren't qualified to take on yeah, exactly. an extraterrestrial. They didn't go to university and study how to fight now a creature talking. from outer space, but they were determined exactly. to do it. Right. Predator really. It's just an allegory it's for an taking allegory. life by the balls. <laughs> Predator is life and the rest is just detail. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so usually what we do at this point of the show is just kind of round it out with a, a final verdict on the movie. I mean, I, I, you can probably tell where we're all going with this. I love it. It holds up 100%. It's only getting better in my opinion. What, what about you, Greg? Yeah, this is a rewatch. Yep, <laughs> it's 100% <laughs> And I think you should watch it every so often. Yeah. You know, you need to have it in the rhythm every couple just of years. Just to top up the shot in your eyeball? What yeah, was just it? to just uh, – I forget what it was called, but let's go with Nandrolone. But it was something <laughs> different to that. It was clenbuterol or some kind of – I'll, I'll agree and I'll say that I stack it against other movies and I like to watch movies from the 80s and 90s and see yeah. how they stack up. And recently, yeah. guys, it was a month ago, I watched uh, First Blood again for the oh, first time in a yeah. long time. Great film. Yeah. 
But I believe in rewatchability doesn't hold a candle to Predator. Right, I really okay. don't. Yeah. I think it's First Blood had one. a lot of slow parts yeah. in it, watching yeah. it now. that You watch it now like, you know, I can fast forward this little bit when he's in the cave, a little bit up at the top of the mountain, right. it's a little bit slow. Predator has none of that. Predator does not have me on the fast forward button at all. Totally rewatchable, double thumbs up from me because I think it's one of the most rewatchable action films if not the most of all time. I tend to agree. I think out of all the movies, because we do this every week, so we rewatch an old movie every week, and there's only been a few that I'd say are in my top five rewatches so far. And this is, I think this is in there. This is yeah, one of them. it's pretty special. Like back, back to the Future, Total Recall, and this have been my top three so far in terms of what we covered. Good what choices. Great Very good. movie. Great movie. We don't know what we're doing next week yet because we we're know. doing these out of order. But <laughs> – why don't we call it's, it there? We're going to do it a movie. <laughs> the book's called Good Night, Irene. Check it out. It's going to be available. Well, by the time this podcast goes out, it's available now. Can I just go up for, for the we, – we haven't explained the origin of Good Night, Irene. Oh, that's to, important. So they're probably going, why is, why is this guy's <clears throat> book called Good Night, Irene? <laughs> let, me, uh, let me tell you a very interesting story. I get asked that question a lot. It's a cool story. So – uh, as I said earlier, Gorilla Monsoon, who was a former WWF commentator, was my inspiration, my commentary idol. I always loved listening to him commentate since I was a young boy. He used to commentate one of my favorite wrestlers, a guy called Adorable Adrian Adonis. Adorable Adrian Adonis had a sleeper hold finishing move that Gorilla Monsoon called Goodnight Irene. Ah. When I first commentated anything as a 16-year-old doing track and field at Olympic Park, <laughs> after, after a race finished, I screamed out, good night, Irene, and it stuck with me oh, over the years as my commentary catch call. Now get this for goosebumps. <laughs> they say the universe always brings you what you ask for. I first screamed good night, Irene, as a 15 or a 16-year-old in 1991. I am now married to a woman named oh, Irene. Stop no. <laughs> who I met when I was 34. Of all the names, yeah. of all the women in all the world, the universe thought to pair me up, bring me a woman named Irene. Oh, that so is every night, outrageous. Yeah, yeah. Good night, Irene. But for the record, <laughs> no, I have never once for the record said good night, Irene, to my wife because when we started going out and she heard me screaming on TV, she turned around and said, if you ever say goodnight, Irene, to me, I will kick you in the dick. <laughs> Fair enough. No flesh trophy kicking from her. <laughs> I would not be a flesh trophy. <laughs> Amazing. Oh. Uh, all right. Well, um, wrap up the show. We'll wrap I guess up the show. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I actually have like one or two martial arts questions for you to ask oh, okay. after the podcast if okay. I could just have like one minute of your time. 100%. Thank you. <laughs> But obviously, it's been a delight. We'd love to have you on any time. If there's any movie you ever yeah, want to talk well, about, yeah, exactly. In a couple know. of years, when we're more in the Rogan stratosphere, and you go, "Yeah, hey, I remember those kids." Well, <laughs> the only problem is we're not kids, but that's not that's not really a problem. Uh, yeah. It's metaphorical. Yeah, it's metaphorical. We behave like guys. Children. <laughs> oh man, it's been. I've had so much pleasure. It's been an absolute joy, and I hope you know I looked after you both tonight. I've got a hat on, yeah. and also the baldness. Exactly, so we've got both bases yes. covered. All right, <laughs> repping both of us. Repping both. Thank you so much for the chance to be on the Double Impact podcast. It's been phenomenal. I love it. I'm definitely going to come back in the future. And to everyone watching, keep an eye on these two guys because <laughs> they are going places. Ah, uh, legend. <laughs> hey, you, you know it would be great to close out the show? Maybe a good night, Irene? From myself, Michael Chevallo, to the Double Impact podcast, it's good night, Irene, and thanks for watching. Yay. Yay.